0: That's the song Gran Ola from the band Los Carabungas. It's from their album Queremos Surf, the demo. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, with their permission, this is episode 159 of the podcast devoted to the classic, and sometimes not so classic, genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show this week, and I want to welcome back Tom Bigler. Tom's not been on the show in a little while, and I was thrilled that he wanted to come back on the show to talk about the movie, The Monolith Monsters, from 19. 57. This turned out to be an incredible watch for me and well you're going to hear all about why here in a moment. Oh, and just so that everybody knows, Tom and I are going to spoil the movie. You've been warned. Before we get to that though, I want to tell you about our website Long time listeners are probably getting tired of me saying this, but head over to monsterkidradio.net to check out everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. From here, you're going to find links to our live 365 internet radio station where you're going to hear soundtracks, scores, trailers, things like that from classic monster movies. You're going to find links to our Amazon store, and from here, you can find a link to our gift guide, which was what we featured in the last episode last week. You can also find a link to our Facebook group where people are having conversations about the show and about movies between episodes we also have a patreon page now if you are a patron of ours over at patreon.com first of all thank you but second of all keep in mind that i'm going to be restructuring the patreon rewards early 2015 so sometime next month we're going to be making some changes so if you want to go in and make some changes to your pledge levels or patronage levels well feel free to do so now or just sit tight whatever just so you know what's going on. Our contact information is also at our website, monsterkidradio at gmail.com is our email address. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. The Monolith Monsters turned out to be one of the most fun watches for me this year. This was a blast to talk about, a blast to watch. I've ended up watching it twice so far this year because I loved it. So much. And I obsessed about a particular scene in this movie. You know, I'm gonna let you guys and gals find out what that scene was. Sort of right after this. From caves and sewers come
1: the slime people. The kill, kill, kill. There is no escape from the slime people. The slime people. <laughs> Nothing can stop the horror of the slime people. wild bloodbath of the slime people. With lust they come, with vengeance and murder, see the nightmare of the slime people. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Daikaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. An upheaval of nature tears loose a creature out of the nightmare of time. Spawned by an earthquake on the bed of the ocean, a reptilian earth-shaking beast of the sea, the monster that challenged the world. My tank. My tank. What's wrong? Blake's tank is caught in the undergrowth. Oh, my God, his body. He died right in front of me. I couldn't help it. I better go back. Talk Sands, what's down there? I don't know. I never saw anything like it before. It's the size of a dinosaur and ten times more terrifying, hurling the horrors of the unknown at every living thing.
0: been way too long since i've had this next guy on monster kid radio he's one of my favorite people to chat movies with he's a talented sculptor he's a good friend of mine and he loves these movies tom bigler welcome back to monster kid radio sir
1: it's great to be here derek happy to uh be back on the podcast after a long uh, hiatus
0: it's been a while (laughs) how's things been for you
1: oh good fine you know i'm just we're plugging along mona and i my wife everything's good our cats are fine our two Puppies are fine, so everything's going good.
0: Watching lots of movies. A few, yeah. A few. <laughs>
1: well, Monolith
0: Monsters. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I would hope so. I hope I watch this one. <laughs> yeah, watching a few. Something about this time of year that makes me want to just curl up, watch these movies, do a little bit of artwork, that sort of thing. I don't know what it is mm-hmm. about, you know, the winter time or the colder weather that makes me want to do that. Other than I don't like going outside. I don't know, but
1: well. <laughs> You know, Oregon, we have a lot of rain, which is fine. I'm not complaining and damp. So it's not, you know, it's good. Mona and I like to snuggle up by the pellet stove and watch something. So
0: I'm imagining you now curled up watching the monolith monster to the warm glow of the pellet <laughs> stove, curled up with your wonderful wife, just watching this oh, wonderful film.
1: Uh, I'm relaxing as we speak, Derek. there. There we go.
0: <laughs> the monolith monster is from 1957. It's a universal movie. And... Like a lot of movies that I'm finding out lately, I thought this was one I had seen. Turns out I had mixed this one up in my head with Monster on the Campus. This was the first time viewing for me. You'd think (laughs) that this is something that I would have seen. There are so many movies out there that I'm finding that I thought I had watched or known about and just, you know, brand new for me. So this was great.
1: Well, that would be cool. That's one thing about some of these that I've seen them so many times, you know, cause I'm 54, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, and I've been a monster kid for my whole life. So I've watched these a lot of times, but boy, I, so I haven't seen many for the first time. So I must have been awesome.
0: It was really cool. And to come at it. I don't know. I'm glad that I watched it now because I feel like I can bring more to the table as a viewer. I mean, yeah, I'm a little jealous, maybe, of people who grew up with these movies. You know, people know my story. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of these as a kid. Coming to it now, though, and being the more. I'm, just, I'm full of myself, a more educated viewer. <laughs> Ooh. And I'm not trying to, you know, make me, well, you know, no, I'm a scholar. You know, I'm not like that at all. Just bringing my experience to a movie like this, I can really appreciate what they were doing with it and a lot of the story elements that may have gone over my head if I had watched it when I was a little kid. Mm hmm. Because there's a lot going on here that I am fascinated by.
1: There is. And it really, the story stands up even. Today, I mean, uh, unlike a lot of things like the slime people or a monster, <laughs> challenge to the world with a giant slug that's supposed to conquer. Now that one planet. I
0: know I've seen. I know for sure I've seen that okay. one.
1: <laughs> that's a good one. Tim Holt. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. But the story in this is, you know, it's viable today because, well, we'll get into the story, but it's, you know, a meteor crashes and then terror ensues. And
0: I, say, I think it holds up because it's not. A man in a suit and you know i love my man in suit movies i love creature i love godzilla you know i love that stuff but you know this is just a meteor this is something so foreign that it's okay that it doesn't look like something that we recognize and it does hold up over over time and scrutiny i think it's really interesting that the monsters in this are less like a willful monster and more just well it's just another thing you know mm-hmm, it's just something mm-hmm. outside of our world so i was thrilled by it this is probably one of my favorite movies that i've seen for the first time this year really enjoyed it now as soon as the movie started i did feel like i was at home because it starts with that narration
1: paul freeze who yeah. who is a huge cow he's a i was stunned by all the work he had done in voice acting and he's he's done about every early cartoon you can think of he was the uh, voice of well boris badinov <laughs> from uh, from Rocky and Bullwinkle, right? Uh-huh. That Rocky? Yeah. Yep. Um, he has an amazing voice.
0: Oh, and he's got a huge career. You look him up on the Internet, and you're going to find things on there. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize that was him, but of course it's him. Of course he did the narration in that Hardware War short. Of course he did You know all these cartoons that I remember watching growing up for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen him in this stuff, and then you go back and look at his career, and, yeah, he was doing stuff back in the 50s, the 60s. And I'm sure I've got tons of movies in my DVD collection, probably movies I haven't seen but thought I did, that he's done voice work on. So Don't be just, too hard on yourself. Well, there. you know, I've got <laughs> a big movie collection. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's such an at-home, welcoming voice. You hear that voice, and you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's like hanging out with an old friend. He's going to tell me a story. <laughs> you know, and he's typically uncredited in a lot of these things, but still, I mean, to hear that opening up. And then – it opens up with footage from another film.
1: It came from Outer Space, I believe.
0: Exactly, which again, another movie that I know I've seen and another <laughs> <laughs> Welcome addition or an old friend again to introduce this movie and that kind of leads me to another point about this film this movie's got jack arnold all over it oh yeah heavy type i mean he did the story he was one of the people involved with the mm-hmm. story film but you know starts with footage from the other film that was directed by jack arnold so you know again this has got all the ingredients it's starting to turn into something that i know i'm gonna like and i'm just a few minutes into the film
1: you're doing another spin-off podcast of course with the creature right and this has another creature um not to jump onto another subject.
0: I was going to go there, too. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this was directed by John Sherwood, and he directed one of your uh, seminal movies, Creature Walks Among Us.
0: He's the only other man to direct a creature film other than Jack Arnold.
1: Oh, see, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, Jack Arnold did the first two creature films, you know, Creature and the Revenge of the Mm -hmm, Creature. But yeah, mm -hmm. John Sherwood did Creature Walks Among Us. Uh, He did that one just before this one, I believe. I think this one was the last film that he had directed, let's see, this was 57, Creature would have been 56, so yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, another connection right there, which again, it's like, oh man, these are all my friends, why haven't I seen the movie (laughs) yet, you know? So that was nice to see. You know, the cast, I I don't see any immediate connections to my Creature series (laughs) in the cast, Mm -hmm. but of course we've got other connections. I mean, Grant Williams, the incredible shrinking man.
1: Yeah, that's one of the all-time classics.
0: Definitely. So we've got him in the film. He's one of the leads. You got Les Tremaine, who's done a lot of, well, non monster movies, but a lot of monster movies as well. And I think you mentioned the Sly People. He's in that, isn't he? He is. So you've got him in that. You've got a great cast. I love the cast in this.
1: Everybody is serviceable. (laughs) Is that a compliment? (laughs) I don't know. Well, I'm getting into some of the sub, well, the sub characters, the two doctors. Yeah. Um, the chief of police, which we'll talk about.
0: <laughs> was that uh, played by William Flaherty, wasn't it? Yes. And he
1: was fine. It's yeah. just odd that he seems to uh, be a member of the police force that's so underfunded they can't afford a, a badge for him or a gun <laughs> for him or handcuffs or a police car or a
0: radio. <laughs> I, I got the impression that this is a very, very small town. Yet it's so small they've got the Department of Interior set up with an office here. I don't it, <laughs> it was weird. But no, I I could see that. See some of the budgetary limitations may have been shining through there. Sure.
1: Well I wonder if it's that or you know, because they had the state police had badges and everything. I just wonder if it's partially because and we'll get to it. We're getting into the movie proper already, but sure. if if because Grant is the hero of the story, that they didn't want to push that he was a cop too much, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that does make sense. If you start dressing him up with a fancy police car, guns, badges, and all that, I think maybe subconsciously we'd expect him to be the hero, and he's not the lead. So, that makes sense.
1: And Graham basically takes over from the onset, one of the first scenes, he basically takes over the situation, and the, the police chief is basically just following his lead. That's true. So...
0: Yeah, Grant, he, his character's name is Dave Miller, and yeah, Miller, it's his story. I mean, it's his town to save. It's his plan. It's everything that he's doing is is what makes him the hero versus the police chief, who, like, it's like he just immediately falls and step behind him. There's not really a power struggle or anything like that, which was nice. I, did, I mm-hmm. enjoyed not having to go through that. It was just like, oh, well, Miller's got the plan. Let's do it. Even if it means blowing up the dam, but you know <laughs> I don't
1: know if maybe I would have liked a little bit of interplay, but a little bit of a power struggle. Maybe just,
0: just a somewhere. touch. Just a touch. Yeah, maybe.
1: That's just me. I like power struggles. What can I tell you?
0: Do you? That explains yeah. a lot about our relationship. <laughs> <though>.
1: <laughs> a constant power struggle. Game of Thrones. Oh wow. <laughs> I've never watched that, but I guess that's a reference. Okay, well let's talk about this movie. Yeah, why let's- don't we
0: get back to the monolith monsters? <laughs> Okay,
1: so we started off with a a great scene of the uh, came from outer space,
0: which is a great shot. It's an iconic shot. You know, you see it in the trailer. It's wonderful.
1: Mm -hmm. Meteor coming down with a great voiceover explaining to the 50s people all about meteors, basically
0: science. Insert (laughs) Jack Arnold science lesson here. (laughs) But it's awesome.
1: It is great. And some great music. I don't think. Do you know anything about the music in this? I kind of looked it up and it didn't seem like it had Henry Mancini as an uncredited person and some other people, but it.
0: Yeah, so in the 50s, Universal was pretty notorious for bringing in multiple people to do the music because they could pay multiple people less money per person as opposed to paying one person a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the standard. Musicians for these types of movies. You mentioned Henry Mancini, Herman Stein, Irving Goetz are the three composers that were involved with this film, all uncredited because back then it wasn't something they really gave a lot of credit to. And I'm sure some of it was a little bit of stock music as well, music that might have been composed for another film. Mm -hmm. I did hear some familiar riffs here and there. It doesn't go full on creature, but real (laughs) close. Real close.
1: There's a lot of real close, almost creature music from the 50s. Yeah.
0: But I love the music in it.
1: Yeah, it's effective. Very effective.
0: So then we have the crash
1: of the meteor.
0: Now, when the meteor crashed, when we first start to see pieces of the meteor, it just looks like chunks of obsidian on the ground.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, we learn later that that's not quite exactly what it is, but I think that's probably what they were using. Just you know, get some obsidian throw it out there. It looks spooky.
1: Yeah, I would think.
0: So we've got these chunks of obsidian on the ground, and then somebody comes driving out. Now, was he investigating the crash, or is he just out on patrol?
1: He didn't seem to be looking for anything.
0: No, he was just kind of he out and just, about.
1: I think he was just driving to work, basically.
0: And he had car trouble.
1: Uh, overheated radiator.
0: So, if you, of course, you've got to stop directly on top of bits and pieces of the meteor <laughs> to deal with that, because that's what you do in these fifty sci-fi movies.
1: <laughs> well, it was scattered. Pretty. It's true. That's true. Pretty, pretty all over the place. So. <laughs> I give him a break on that one.
0: And it's right off the bat. I mean, the movie doesn't waste a lot of time. When he puts the water in the radiator and does whatever he needs to do to cool down the engine, a little bit of the water gets on the ground and gets on the meteor piece. And I mean, we're not going to hold back. It starts to bubble and fizz. Mm-hmm. So immediately you know something's going wrong with the rocks, with the meteorite pieces. And I thought it was pretty well done. I mean, for a 1950s low-budget sci-fi film.
1: Yeah, that was effective.
0: I think every time you see a rock doing something in this movie, it's pretty darn effective to me.
1: A lot of that work, I think the photography was by uh, Clifford Stein, who had done all kinds of photography for different movies. Do you have anything on your magic machine?
0: I I don't. Uh, Clifford Stein, he did the special photography with this. I don't know much about him. I know he worked on This Island Earth, but beyond that, I don't know much more. About his career. But if I go on the Internet Movie Database, it looks like he's done a lot. Oh, wow, he worked on King Kong. So, you know, he's got a background in this. I've worked on Creature Walks Among Us. So, oh, this looks like somebody I need to learn a little bit more about. Well, there you go. There we go. So, yeah, I mean, it looks good. I mean, it starts to bubble and fizz. It looks like some smooth black Alka-Seltzer. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yum. Yeah. And the music blares, which gives you a an auditory hint, a clue. Yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun.
0: You, you know, when that music kicks in like that, you know, this is... <laughs> this is where the monster is. Oh yeah. <laughs> and again, we're calling it a monster, and I almost feel like the title's kind of misleading because monster kind of makes it sound like it's an intentional, willful evil being of some sort, and it's not. It's just rocks.
1: It's just rock. <laughs> it's
0: just yeah. rock. Spoiler: it's just a bunch of monoliths. It's not, <laughs> and it doesn't even start as monoliths. Although I love the title, so
1: it is a good title. Now you got to have that in the fifties. You got to have something, creature, monster, something.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's perfect. Now, of course, he drives off, and he's not even aware that the rock started reacting to the moisture.
1: No. so, so He takes a piece. He takes a piece with him back to the office.
0: Because he did find a piece. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So he does take that back to the office. Um, now, which character was this? This was not Miller. This was Ben Gilbert. Who also works in the Department of the Interior. Yes. Played by Phil Harvey. He had some
1: Monster Kid connections, I see. He had, like, a a few acting credits. He was in Monster on the Campus.
0: Hey, I've seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure you have, Derek. (laughs) He was in the Deadly Mantis,
1: Deadly Mantis, Touch of Evil. Yeah, so he's he's done something. This is uh, while he uh, comes into the office and starts opening it up, cooling it down, because we're in a desert town here. Yes. I don't know if we mentioned that. This is a...
0: San Angelo? It is San Angelo.
1: And it is a desert town out in the middle of a uh, – it's fairly remote, which will come into play a little bit later.
0: And the way the movie's set up, it almost feels like Ben is supposed to be one of the leading men, that he's supposed to be the, the hero. Because they spend so much time with him, and they have him interacting with the newspaper man, you know, our Les Tremaine character. Mm-hmm. They spend so much time with those two that I felt like, well, we're getting set up for Ben to be the hero. He's mm-hmm. not.
1: no. Oh. <laughs> He gets offed pretty early, spoiler alert.
0: Yeah, he really does. Um, So, Lester Main plays the newspaper man, the publisher of the newspaper, uh, named Cochran. Mm-hmm. And we know it's a small remote town because he's complaining about it being a small remote town. <laughs> Nothing ever happens here. There's no no news to talk about. i have be this rock. Maybe that'll be some sort of discovery. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Whatever. It's just a rock.
1: Then he thinks he wants to give up newspaper and become yeah. a geologist. <laughs>
0: You guys are always doing something interesting. <laughs>
1: yeah. We need another
0: geologist in this teeny town. Yes. <laughs> How hard could it be, right? <laughs> well, they are going to have an opening here soon. So <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so it's this desert town. It's remote. It's dry. It's arid. But there's a windstorm. It gets really windy at night. And this is where this... Kind of this Rube Goldberg kind of thing starts to get set up here. <laughs> He's got the rock on the desk, which is a beneath a shelf that has some water, which is by the window that's open with the curtain.
1: It goes down a chute, lands on a cat tail. I know, right? Cat runs. And then, oh yeah, it's, it's kind of <laughs> unlikely, but
0: I loved it though. I mean, of, of course that's what happened. And we know that if it gets wet, it's going to do something because we already saw it kind of react to the water in the desert. And of course that night, It gets wet. Now, nobody's in the office when this happens, right? Ben wasn't actually in the room when that happened.
1: He evidently sleeps above the office. I guess he has an apartment up there.
0: But there is that big chemical reaction, and when he investigates later, uh uh-oh,
1: yeah, at this point, we don't really know what happens. He just kind of, well, that's the end of the scene, basically. Exactly. He goes down to, goes down to find out, and then...
0: There's probably a musical stinger here.
1: <laughs> probably. Then the next scene, we have Grant Williams, our uh, real star, pulling up to the office the next morning.
0: Right, and that's when we find out that there really is an opening. The town does the geologist.
1: <laughs> the effects of uh, Bud Westmore. This, uh, this is, for those people fans of face-off who know bud westmore from that show you know he's been around for well obviously years and years
0: the westmores are a legacy i mean they are makeup royalty for better or worse some would say that he took a little bit more credit than he deserved on some things but i mean the westmores you are a mainstay in hollywood makeup and i guess he did the makeup in this
1: well he could take credit for this because the makeup's (laughs) so-so.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the, one thing, that's the one thing that I really struggled with with this movie, that I don't think the makeup's that good.
1: Yeah. But also, we're, we're jumping ahead again. Are we? Actually, we haven't seen – well, we know we do see the makeup in this scene. Yeah. Because they do show Ben. Basically, um, Grant goes to the office, calls his girlfriend, starts to look around for Ben.
0: Now, the girlfriend, he finds out's out on a field trip.
1: On a field trip with her students. All right, she's a teacher in town.
0: Mm-hmm. And when we find Ben, or when he finds Ben, I guess we're supposed to believe that he's been petrified. <laughs> I don't know if it works.
1: And that's a tough one, you know, to be honest. that's, that's That would be a tough one to pull off, Probably.
0: Oh, um, you know, I mean, I, I've seen movies where characters do that. You know, over on 1951 Down Place, we talked about the Gorgon, you know, 1964. Mm-hmm. It's a Hammer film, and characters are turning to stone in that, and it looks good. Uh In 1957, or was it released in 57 or 56, The Man Who Turned to Stone, and it actually looks pretty decent there for what it is. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in this one... It just doesn't look natural enough for me, and it doesn't help. And you and I were kind of talking off mic about this the other day. It doesn't help that when you first see the back of Ben's body, he's just kind of standing there. It's just a freeze frame. It's just a still image of him standing there so that it just doesn't even look natural. And I know if you turn to stone, you're not going to move anyway. But it just there's a difference in picture quality that stood out to me as well. It's the one disappointment I have with this film. It's not a huge disappointment. I mean, it doesn't ruin the movie. I love the movie. Just couldn't have come up with another either way to do it or explanation. I don't know.
1: And really, probably except for, you know, it's 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 part of the movie, the turning to stone, which adds to it, but isn't necessary. I mean, that's not the biggest threat.
0: You could have dropped that. You're right. I mean, the threat is... If it rains, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the threat that it turns things to stone as it goes, and only people. It doesn't ever really you know, get into any desert life that it might run into or anything like that.
1: And only some people.
0: And only some people. <laughs> and only sometimes some of the people. Some parts of the people. So, yeah, you probably didn't need that. I.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they did it to bring in characters because you want to, you know, Ben's bought it, but later in the story, we'll 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 get into somebody that's you know struggling with the the curse.
0: <laughs> that's true. And maybe they had to give Westmore something to do. You know, Maybe it was a matter of making sure the makeup department was involved in this science fiction movie, and that's what the people want. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, either way. So Ben's dead. Ben's been stoned. <laughs> ben is petrified. Do they, re- they really never get into why exactly that happens, other than I guess the rocks are drawing chemicals out of the people to do their thing. It's very flimsy science, as if this is full of great science, but it's very flimsy science to me. But I'm not a scientist, I don't
1: Well, yeah, they, towards the end, Grant has a theory about the the silicate. Yeah. If you drain the silicate, which is, no, that is not. I've looked up some of the stuff just for curiosity on the science of some of the stuff, and yeah, that's not too accurate.
0: Well, silicates are these <laughs> big-looking things that look like burst raviola that go after Peter Cushing, right? <laughs> that's right. That's what silicates are.
1: No, Derek.
0: That's what happens when you see too many of these movies, I suppose.
1: You can never see too many of these movies.
0: Thank you. I was setting that up for you. <laughs> but I'm bumped. All right, so back to okay. the story.
1: One thing i got to say, yes. which is hilarious to me about this scene when uh, Grant finds Ben is that uh, <laughs> he touches him, and Ben, you know, in his petrified state, falls face forward, Uh-huh. and Grant doesn't even make an attempt to catch him or anything. He just falls flat on his face. That's a good point. Yeah, no, I mean, you'd think you'd kind of... I mean, I know it's for the effect. It's just It just looked funny, because I would hope, Derek, that if I was standing there and I <laughs> fell <laughs> face forward, you'd try to stop and catch me.
0: I but, would hope so, too.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see.
0: <laughs> next time we're together doing something, you stand okay. really still and I'll try to push her forward and we'll see what happens.
1: <laughs> next time we get pizza. There we go. <laughs> Stop. I'll flop down on the sidewalk.
0: Our wives will be like, What are they doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, no. <laughs> okay, so we anyway, got, uh, back to poor, back yeah. yeah, poor, poor Ben. Poor Ben, he's obviously dead. And then the next scene, we get our first uh, introduction to Lola Albright as
0: the teacher, the girlfriend,
1: the teacher, the girlfriend,
0: Kathy, I have... Mrs. Barrett, Mrs. Barrett or Miss Barrett. Excuse me. That's right. Yeah. She's unmarried. as one of the students points out. Mm-hmm. Don't you love Mr. Miller? <laughs> My mom and dad love each other and they're married. Mind your own business, kid.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. That's a fifties thing. What can you do? Yeah. Now, Lola Albright, I don't know much about her either. Um, Don't know much about what she she had done, uh, any other movies or anything like that. Are you familiar with her at all?
1: Uh, She's done a few things. She did some TV. I know she was in – I never saw it, but Peter Gunn.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: I saw this. She was actually nominated for an Emmy for Peter Gunn. Oh, wow. I'm not wild about her in this movie. (sighs)
0: She's Uh, okay, but she's just kind of there to push the story around a little bit.
1: Yeah, and part of it, she's just such a wimpy little – Weiner, and she's yeah. a weak, she's a weak, she's not one of the strong women of the fifties that we like.
0: That's true. She's so Julie Adams. No. <laughs> and, and who's yours? Is it Beverly Garland? Is that yours? Bev, Gar-
1: Bev, Garland, I Bev
0: Garland. Bev. Bev. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I forgot. Well, Bev, you and her. We're
1: close. Me and Bev are close. Yeah. Or we yeah. used to be. <laughs>
0: But she's out in the desert on a field trip. What kind of field trip is this? Let's just go out to the desert and let them run around for a while.
1: Uh, I've never had 50s. a field
0: trip like that. <laughs> don't pick up anything weird looking, kids. If you don't know what it is, don't touch it. And I'm the only adult chaperone out here. And I'm going to get relationship advice from one of my students. Ginny. Yes. Well, and she's important, you know. This, yeah, happen. she finds
1: she, something out there that's very important.
0: She finds a piece of the
1: meteor. Yes, and she takes it back home with her.
0: Even though she was told not to grab anything, she doesn't know. I guess it just looks like a rock. But she loves her rock. Oh, yeah. She, she brings it home, and she wants to clean it and cuddle it and bring it inside. <laughs> and, it's my new pet rock. Oh, Jenny. But other than that, the, the scene out in the desert is pretty uneventful. It's just a kind of setup that Miss Barrett cares about her kids.
1: It does kind of foreshadow something, which I, I don't know if I'm sure you noticed, Erica, in the movie, where they happen to drive past the salt flats and the salt uh, That's processing right. area. and they It happen does to, set that up. And they happen to drive past the dam. Actually, in this very scene, while she's coming home, she drives past the dam through the salt flats and through the salt processing area all uh, on her way home.
0: That's a that's a good point. That's a good.
1: And they did, they did that more than once in the movie where they showed the salt flat kind of like making sure I guess to make sure people understand that, you know.
0: What is the economy of this little town? We've got, you know, some federal geologists hanging out. We've got a big city <laughs> newspaper man who apparently doesn't like being here. We've got a small school that can fit in the back of Miss Barrett's <laughs> car for field trips. But there's a salt mine, there's a dam nearby, it's just, It's. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think the salt is, I think the salt mine is it, because they make a reference later, or did they already do it, that without the salt mine, the town would probably be gone by now. So That's true. That must be their.
0: Yeah. Their industry. Yeah. But we don't spend a lot of time with salt miners or anything, like in, in the movie, it's geologists no. <laughs> and teachers and a newspaper man who wanted to be a geologist when he grew up, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, I'm giving him grief, but I really like Les Romain, so. Oh,
1: Les is amazing. He's great. You know, when I looked him up, I couldn't believe, you know, he did a lot of radio, which I didn't know. This is in the 30s and 40s.
0: It makes sense, though. He's got
1: the voice. And he has over 30,000 appearances on radio.
0: Oh, wow.
1: He'd do like 20-some a week sometimes, and it was just amazing. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe it.
0: I mean, and just looking at his his film career, he's been all over movies that we love you know he was oh. involved he did uh, the war of the worlds uh forbidden planet he did some narration on that you know he was doing a lot of things that you know oh. are important to us as monster kids but yeah i mean he had one heck of a career
1: yeah amazing
0: Yeah, you know, wonderful voice and i just love him in this he, he doesn't seem very effective but he's just fun to have around <laughs> as a character what's he really doing not much
1: well he'll come into play with his kids of power <laughs> to deliver so anyway we'll get there
0: yeah anyway anyway where are we we are so we got done with the field trip jenny took the rock home
1: threw it in the water uh mom says don't bring that rock in jenny so she throws it in the water pail outside
0: and it's an audience member like, <laughs> <"No!">
1: <laughs> it starts bubbling of course
0: and it looks so cool we, we know that jenny's family is done for at this point i mean it's <laughs> This is bad because we saw what happened in the office or the aftermath of what happened in uh-huh. the office. And that was just a little tiny rock. This was like a big rock the size of Jenny's head, practically, that she dropped in the bucket and just walked away. She didn't <laughs> think to, you know, she just looked over her shoulder to see it bubbling and said, Mom, look, you know, nope. Jenny doomed her entire family.
1: Ooh, now she can live with that. <laughs> live with that pain.
0: Just made this movie a lot darker than I meant to.
1: <laughs> Ooh.
0: And that's the last time we see Jenny's family. <laughs> Basically, we'll <laughs> see a Ginny later, but we'll get yeah. there.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Anyway,
1: so next we we got a big meeting at the uh, doctor's office for the autopsy on uh, Ben. Right. This is a, this is where we get to meet the sheriff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Les is there, of course, the paper. He's pretty confused by what happened to Ben, I think.
0: And everybody seems so disappointed that he can't figure it out. It's like, come on, he's a small-town doctor. (laughs) Cut him some slack. You just got in a guy that turned to stone. Why'd it happen? I don't know. We're going to have to send out for an autopsy. And everybody's really confused and flummoxed, and you know, the newspaper man wants to write about it, but, oh, you can't do that. You'll put the city city in a panic. I mean, it's good to see everybody kind of get together and have the the meeting to kind of move the story forward, but... Uh Of course, he can't figure out what happened, so.
1: <laughs> well, this is one of the first scenes. Well, this is the first time you meet the sheriff. And this is the first scene that is kind of speaking to his ineffectual nature, is that they discuss the fact that Ginny uh, found a rock, just like the one that turned Ben the Stone. Right. And so Dave wants to go out to the Ginny's uh, ranch. And the the policeman kind of poos him a little.
0: Anyway. Yeah, that's true. So,
1: Says you don't want to go out. Do you want to go out there tonight, and that just seems, you know, I just, I don't know.
0: No, I agree. It seemed very like oh, this is a lot of work. You know, I don't want to do it tonight.
1: And I got kind of a, you know, and I love the show, but I got kind of a Mayberry, yeah, tone from this guy. Just his delivery. I mean, not a comical delivery, but just kind of a, a little bit of a doofus delivery a little bit
0: this is a sleepy little town let's just let yeah. everybody be sleepy i don't mean, whatever it's, okay. it's not i don't really want to judge I, people no but i i get the impression i get that same impression i was going to say that earlier when you're talking about how he wasn't walking around with a gun that's very andy griffith that's very he wasn't called griffith in the show was he Who? anyway andy, it's very andy, mayberry yeah
1: yeah he was andy griffith right anyway. so
0: yeah anyway
1: different podcast yeah <laughs>
0: Stay tuned for the next spin-off, the (laughs) Mayberry RFD podcast, coming soon from Monster Kid Radio.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Thank goodness. How many can you you do? do
0: Unless you want to.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Go through every episode?
1: I could only get up my gumption to do one with you on this every (laughs) few months.
0: All right, so we go out to Jenny's parents' place, The Simpson Place.
1: And that is totally trashed. Yeah. It's been smashed. There's chunks of black rock all over.
0: I was a little surprised to find out that Jenny was still alive. I kind of expected them to have off her. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know. why. just, I guess it's a kid. You're right in the fifties, but still did they do I'm
1: that. Saying, I don't think they hardly did that in the fifties.
0: That's true. I guess if it got remade, they'd kill her.
1: Oh yeah. They'd have to, <laughs> they'd have
0: to <laughs> listen, listen
1: to you. <laughs> kill the kid. You got to do it. Um, no, but that's kind of a tab. That wasn't that kind of taboo back that's then? That's true. That's true. I mean, the I mean, even off screen, it seemed like it's kind of dark. You know, her folks get turned to stone. Right. Which is part of the thing we'll have to try to figure out is, as we see Ginny, she's in shock. Well, at this point, they don't know any more than she's in shock.
0: Right. I mean, they, they get her out of there and bring her yeah. back to town, but...
1: But their parents are totally stoned, man. So... <laughs>
0: Somebody call CPS. Um, (laughs) You're right. We don't really see the extent of Jenny's, I guess for lack of a better term, injury Uh until we get her back into town later. But they do get her out of there. So you're right. I guess it is the 50s. They're not killing kids in movies at this point. Of course, she's the one that survived. Uh It just seemed a little fortuitous. But then it also gives us a reason for you know Barrett for Kathy to be super involved in the story now now it's not just her boyfriends off fighting these rocks it's you know one of my students is potentially going to die so
1: cuz Jenny she's different than the other ones <laughs> well that's what she said
0: <laughs> and she said we should get married it's what she would have wanted
1: Eek. yeah don't do it dave oh sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you know our wives listen to this, right?
1: She knows I love her, <laughs> so they get Ginny back to the doctor. And this, I don't have this gentleman's name. He was fine though; I liked him.
0: Well, there are two doctors in the uh, cast. Listening online, uh, Doctor Hendricks and Doctor Reynolds, and I, I got them mixed up in the movie myself. Uh, I think Doctor Hendricks is the one at the California Medical Research the Institute I- in LA. So, I, and that's Harry Jackson who played him. And, and he's the one – again, this movie seems to hand off important bits of storytelling to different characters as we go. We start with Ben. Well, Ben's not important. We have the small-town doctor. Well, we're going to go to this other doctor to kind of mm, deal with Jenny. Mm-hmm. So it's got this kind of epic feel with all these different characters doing bits and pieces of everything. It's kind of nice. Oh. I like it.
1: Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. That is true.
0: I mean, ultimately, it, it would be an epic world type problem if they didn't figure out how to stop the meter right so i suppose that's appropriate did they put her in a, a do they put her in the tent or in the bubble right away
1: no not yet yeah
0: that happens later on right
1: yeah first off they don't really discuss it much i mean they they have a scene with her in the in the hospital and then we go back to uh dave and martin cochran mm-hmm. at the office talking about at the uh geologist's office
0: is this the coffee scene no oh okay just because I loved the coffee scene.
1: <laughs> that's more towards the end. That's kind of when they figure out what's going on.
0: Yeah, I love that scene. Yeah, no, they spend a lot of time in the office because, I mean, that's where some discoveries are going to be made later. But yeah. I like these two together. I, I think Cochrane with either Ben or Dave, those were fun scenes. They're just fun dialogue, snappy. You can tell they're mm-hmm. all friends in this small town kind of. I, I love these interactions. It made mm-hmm. them really feel real to me. So, anyway, they're in the office.
1: And that's when they get a call from the local doctor about Jenny, that she's uh, getting worse, and they better get her to a specialist
0: right so that's when they get her off to
1: the yeah. l a okay. that's when that's when she goes into the iron lung, <laughs> which is oh I can't even imagine
0: yeah I well, in
1: an iron lung oh
0: my goodness Well she was comatose so at least she probably did not remember it
1: that's true and this is the first time where we through an x-ray we we actually see evidence of the turning to slowly turning to stone. <laughs>
0: What did you think of the X-ray? <laughs> uh, it's about as effective as the makeup. <laughs> it's, it's pretty silly looking. Pretty. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, but it's it's just her arm. It's one of her hands, right? And slightly up yeah. her arm a little bit, it's turning to stone. Yeah. The X-ray makes it look like just dead, lifeless, like stone thing. But you see the makeup on the hand, and it just... <laughs>
1: I mean, just you could a, do that, Derek, in about ten minutes. That makeup on that
0: arm—you flatter me, sir. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, it's again, it's the one thing I would have changed about the movie. It's the one disappointment that I have. There are some <laughs> rough performances here and there, but the makeup effects of this of the stone turning really kind of bugged me a little bit.
1: Yeah, even if they would have <laughs> just made it just a teeny bit like something, it was basically just looked like light. Well, it's black and white, of course, but it just kind of looked like, what, light gray pancake with some darker here and there?
0: Yeah, there was no texture. It's just like, oh, mm-hmm. her arm looks dark. Yeah. <laughs> there was no te- If they had given it a little bit of texture or something, then maybe I would have bought it. But it just felt like they darkened up her skin a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, this I was just going to say, this is one of the scenes where i am become not a big fan of I'm Lola. Okay. Because this is a scene where she jumps all over this darn lo- local doctor. Or not the local doctor, the uh The, the fancy specialist. L.A. doctor, yeah. Fancy. Expects him to do something, save her. Right. She kind of goes on and on. It's kind of, Yeah.
0: I mean, as we talk about this, you know, I know I keep saying it's the makeup that I'd change, but she's clearly not one of our favorite 50s. <laughs> Women, Uh, you know, and I I really respond well to strong female characters in in cinema anyway. I like my chicks tough, and I like to call them chicks when they're not listening. Yeah, I like (laughs) They'll they'll kick your butt. Yeah, no, I mean, I like my women to be strong women, and that's why I like Julie Adams and Creature, and, you know, Bev Garland's amazing. And, you know, you see movies like this, and you really just want to kind of shake her and and tell her to get it together and – Remind her that she doesn't have to be this panicky, freaked out. I don't know. She's not my favorite character in the movie,
1: and she's just written as kind of clingy and you know. And it's it's not her fault, of course. She yeah, no, I she's don't a bad think. So.
0: Actress. No, I think as the actress, it's fine. It's what she was given to work with.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's just often women were written in the fifties, I suppose. But
0: you know what's interesting now that I think about it, the director John Sherwood did The Creature Walks Among Us, and the female character in that is kind of stuck in this weird love triangle kind of thing, the loveless marriage. And I wonder, I don't remember her being very well fleshed out either in that, that she's just kind of a cipher or a a plot point for the creature and a couple of the scientists to kind of lust after. And maybe Sherwood just didn't know how to direct women. Not to get too bold about it, but I don't know.
1: Or maybe he was having troubles at home (laughs) acting out in his, directing i don't sure think. maybe i don't <laughs> know
0: Could be. who knows either way he's no longer with us so we can't ask him so we're just going to start making accusations about his relationship with his mother <laughs> and uh no <laughs> anyway no i i, agree I love him.
1: him he's done so many good things i don't
0: know yeah no i agree i love creature walks among us a lot i think it's underrated but that's for a different podcast uh anyway Kathy, freaking out, wants the doctor to do something. She's just not a very likable person at this point. I mean, I get being overly concerned about Ginny, who no longer has parents at this point.
1: I think she had designs on those kid from the beginning. <laughs> she, she swooped in pretty quick on that kid, don't you think?
0: Yeah. Now that you say that, I wonder, you know, it's three months later after the events of this movie, you know, Ginny and Dave are married, and they've been, I'm sorry, not Ginny. <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah uh, lola and dave are married they've adopted jenny the newspaper man finally had something to write about everybody's happy
1: yeah for that
0: anyway so she's turning to stone
1: this is when a little after this we get introduced to one of dave's old professors i believe
0: yeah uh professor flanders played by trevor bardette Again, they're bringing in another character, at, you know, at the halfway point, it feels like they're bringing in somebody else, which again lends to this epic feel for the film. This college professor now becomes part of the team
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: so the part like that did a lot of Westerns. And he looks like a guy from a Western.
1: <laughs> he does. He has a good mustache. Yeah, he does. And he kind of plays, you know, through the, throughout this movie, kind of basically plays a mentor to Dave. Mm
0: hmm. It's another one of these character relationships that I really enjoyed in the film. All the men have great relationships in this movie. Mm -hmm. And considering there's there's really only one woman, I guess, she doesn't doesn't have a to hang out with. I don't know. But yeah, no, Professor Flanders is great. I love his mustache. And I love the character interactions between him and Dave. You're right. It's it's a mentor thing, but there's also a level of respect between the two
1: Mm -hmm.
0: as they're going through this, trying to figure it out. Now, at what point do they figure out that it's a silicon thing?
1: silicon yeah. well the next scene they go to um back to the simpson farm
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's where flanders this is where he notices Hey, wait a minute
0: it's professor flanders at the simpson farm
1: <laughs>
0: wait a minute <laughs> where's marge <laughs> don't okay <laughs> Okay, back
1: of the, the simpsons farm this is where flanders notices the the soil the difference in soil the ones that have been in contact with the rock seem to have all the had all the life drained out of
0: them i didn't really realize that dirt <laughs> had enough life in it to break <laughs> well but it's a clue yeah and it does get them thinking in the right direction so now that's they bring it back to the to so the office and start running tests and that sort of thing at this point. Is it at their office that they do that? Or they don't do that in LA, do they? No, they bring it back to the local office. Right. And that's when they find out that the silicon has been completely removed or drained from this dirt, from the mm-hmm. sand. And hey, maybe that's what killed Ben. Uh oh, what's going on with Ginny?
1: You know? And this is kind of an odd part for me because, you know, there is a time element to this because we haven't really talked about it, but Ginny doesn't have long. He said uh, earlier that maybe she had eight hours.
0: Yeah, they kind of threw know. that in there. I'm like, oh, wow, that's uh
1: So she's, you know, so there is an, definitely a, a time element. And this is the part that's odd to me, an odd choice for Dave and Flanders is after they bring the rock back to the office, they decide they have to find this meteor where it crashed. And this is a scene where they could drive out into mm-hmm. the desert. They just happen run across the place where the meteor landed. Right. You know, and there's all kinds of rocks, all kinds of meteor debris for scattered for hundreds of yards. So basically they just, they go up to the lip of the meteor. They have a little conversation about the nature of things and, <laughs> and then they leave. Yeah. And it's like, well, what did you accomplish? You spent like two hours driving out to this place.
0: There's a clock here, people, a timetable. <laughs> what do you and doing? The, the, We're just going to go out for a drive.
1: And what do you, you know? I it it's just it seems so strange because of the, the pieces of the meteor were everywhere. You know, the rock was in town at the Simpson Ranch, all over the desert. It's like there was absolutely nothing accomplished by driving out to this meteor except to have a little exposition on the lip, yeah, of the crater. That's all.
0: Is this the first time we've seen? That there's a whole bunch of it still out there at the very beginning when the well, That's when the, true. Yeah, when
1: the, when the kids picked it up, you saw it strewn all over.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: It's just it's everywhere. Yeah. That's one thing about a little bit of it. Because of the you know, the need for speed, some of the stuff just seems to not take that into account. True. Some of the interactions are kind of casual and like, oh, you know, have some more coffee, blah blah blah.
0: <laughs> but I love the coffee scene now. I love the coffee scene. <laughs> we'll get there, Derek. I You're know I'm anxious to, to get, get to that
1: the coffee scene. I love the coffee. <laughs> But right now, we're not to the coffee yet. We're still I, worried about Ginny.
0: Yeah, we are still worried about Ginny. Because she's, she's still in the Iron Lung. And and why is she on a timetable? What is, are, it's just it, spreading. It's spreading, which I don't understand how that works either. Because if the way this is killing people, it's sucking the silicon out of their body, she's no longer in contact with the rock. It's not that like there's something to continue to suck the silicon out, right?
1: A lot of the science behind any of the becoming concrete is... Suspect, I think. <laughs> well, some people, you know. Tons you mean of people, the
0: movie lied?
1: <laughs> they just altered the truth a little. Oh, okay. You okay. know, a lot of people pick <laughs> up the rock, play around with the rock. Everybody doesn't turn to stone.
0: That's true. Um, yeah, they're, they're, all they're all pretty loosey stick. goosey with that rock.
1: Yeah, it kind of just depends on what they need the story to do, how the meteor reacts to people, I think. Right. But basically, at this point, this is where they have a theory. About injecting artificial silicates, silicon, (laughs) silicon into Ginny that maybe replenishing this mysterious substance might help her. So she gets an injection in the iron lung. And we'll see if it works or not. Will it work? I don't know.
0: We'll see. does happen to Ginny, and do I ever get my cup of coffee? Or are going to have to come back in two days for episode 160 of Monster Kid Radio for the conclusion of my conversation with Tom about the movie The Monolith Monsters? I hope you guys and gals had as much fun listening to us talk about the movie as I did watching the movie. It's always a treat to have Tom back on the show, and you know what? We're just not going to wait nearly as long between Tom appearances next year. We've got some big plans for 2015. Well... I don't want to spoil them now, at least not to the level to which we spoiled the movie The Monolith Monsters. I really hope you guys and gals have seen the film, or at least don't mind us spoiling it quite a bit. Okay, in two days, we're going to be back here with Tom for part two of our coverage of the Monolith Monsters. If you have any comments or thoughts about the movie, well, you know how to get a hold of us. We mentioned it at the top of the show. Head over to monsterkidradio.net, click on the contact button, and you're going to find, well, the ways to get a hold of us. So go ahead and do that if you are so moved. In the meantime, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial no derivatives 3.0 unported license that does not apply to the song gran nola that belongs to los carabangas it's on their album queremos surf the demo you can find them at los go show them some love tell them that monster kid radio sent you talk to everybody in a couple of days <laughs>